Okay, welcome uh, once again to uh, another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here along with my great audio engineer for another week's show, and we are a podcast and a radio show. I should tell the folks about that, right? Okay, yeah, we are a radio show on Red State Talk Radio, great radio station, and uh, we are also a podcast. A podcast is available uh, on all podcast platforms as well as our website. Our website is throttleupradio.com. And uh, podcast you can find, uh, as far as we can tell, um, all the podcast platforms uh, carry a Throttle Up radio show and podcast. And so that's, that's a good thing. I, I kind of like the podcast version as well because you can listen to it in uh, segments is that the word segments portions of it right okay so we are in the midst of a new initiative that we're starting across the board on all platforms Uh, the name of the initiative is tip of the spear and we're going to be talking about that what does that mean actually and why do we need to know about it Uh, what good does it do why do we need to know about it? And uh, we'll cover all of that. A uh, little, give you a little sneak peek into my brain. Uh, I think it's pretty important that we all know about it and why it is important in our lives as Americans. Okay, so I think it's uh, rather vital to. Understand it across the board. Um, we can either understand things uh, in our lives in a meaningful way or we can sleepwalk through history. It's our choice, actually. We have that choice. Uh, I would rather at least attempt to understand things in some kind of a meaningful, comprehensive way rather than just sleepwalk through history and not pay much attention to what is a profound and what is mission critical and what is uh, serious and what is amazing. And so I think we need to, how should I put this, tune, tune up our consciousness is that a good uh, is that a good term tune to do a tune, tune up on our consciousness maybe send it in for some kind of an upgrade <laughs> a new software upgrade is that is that what we should be doing i kind of think so right you know metaphorically of course my uh, audio engineer is giving me these strange looks <laughs> she probably thinks I've gone completely off the rails, and maybe I have. Who knows? Anyway, uh, my great audio engineer is going to start off the show. She's going to kick off the show with uh, her uh, questions of the week. Here we go. Hi, Kevin, and hello to your listening audience. Uh, we're so glad that they are here um, and can join in uh, on this uh, uh, in this project and on this um, thinking along with you, critical thinking. Okay, um, for two things this week that you want to focus on. Um, tell us about your soon-to-be-released film documentary describing the Sonic Warrior experience. And then, you've already mentioned this, uh, but we would like for you to tell us about your new initiative, Tip of the Spear, and what you hope to accomplish with it. Okay, yes, I certainly will. Uh, great questions, of course. And uh, Okay, the film documentary. Now, that's been in the works for how long? Quite a while, right? Over a year. Been in the works. We, we, we did a film shoot uh, with a cinematographer, by the way. That all of this stuff is uh, professionally done. We did a film shoot aboard the USS Midway and... What was the other two museums? 
The Midway, by the way, is uh, is a uh, aviation museum in San Diego. In case case uh, uh, people are not quite familiar with it, uh, it's uh, very popular, by the way, and I think they get 1.2 million visitors a year, or even more than that now. And uh, so we did a film shoot aboard the Midway. We also uh, filmed um, segments at two two aviation museums. One is the Yanks Air Museum in Chino, California, and the other one is the Air and Space Museum in Denver, Colorado. So we uh, we did three we did shoots at three locations, and it was all done on location. Uh, in addition to a couple of uh, studio segments as well, so we have a lot of a lot of material, and we have uh, put together at least the first version of our film documentary. So we can say that this is the the 2024 version of the Sonic Warrior film documentary, and that is uh, uh, that's complete. Uh, we're going to start doing some uh, screenings and presentations of that film. Uh, shortly, we actually have the first one scheduled for tomorrow. That's locally here in um, uh, Southern Nevada, and uh, and then from there, you know, we're we're gonna uh, screen it and show it, premiere it uh, in various other locations. Okay, so and and that does a pretty good job of explaining what is uh, what is the. Uh, 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 Explaining the life of a sonic warrior, basically. And there's lots of things about that experience that uh, is, uh, I think, pretty interesting. Uh, of course, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I am not an observer. I actually did that stuff. So um, this is all a first-person account of uh, this uh, this uh, aspect or this uh, era of the human endeavor. Right? Humans uh, had previously not been capable of these high velocities. Uh, this capability came about rather recently in uh, in the course of human events, and uh, and so this uh, film documentary is is about that. Uh, what it uh, what it involved and what it entailed and what it meant and how did we do it. We did something that had never been done before by anyone in the course of human events. And so we, but we did it, uh, we did do it, we did it. And how did we do it when it had never been done before? And that's, uh, I think that's a pretty good story, don't you? Don't you think that's a good story? Yes, I'm getting a, a positive response from my great audio engineer. Okay. All right, film documentary, and then the tip of the spear. Um, yes, we're going to continue to be discussing that. And why Why are we doing that? And that is, again, that of course, that's all part of uh, what we cover in the film documentary as well. It's also covered in the book, uh, The Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer. Uh, it is also in a certain way or a certain aspect it is covered in my previous book uh critical thinking essentials uh quick reference handbook and that continues to be popular and um and what else uh, another another aspect of that is uh, my textbook which is mission adaptive displays uh, that's a textbook published by IGR Global, and it uh, that relates to it as well. Okay. Tip of the spear. What is that? Well, the tip of the spear is at the leading edge of the battle space, and that's where uh, that's where the action happens uh, at the tip of the spear. And so, a couple of definitions that we're throwing out there. Uh, we have. Uh, a uh, couple of platforms that we have uh, very active. I, I, by the way, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I did want to mention a couple of the platforms that we have working hand in glove uh, in addition to all this other stuff in, uh, in the film screenings. We have 
uh, we have the Substack as a platform as well, and so we have a sub Substack channel. Is that the way of it? What's that the title of it? Is it a channel? I know we have a YouTube channel as well, right? Substack is a is an app, and so we have a presence in Substack. It's called Sonic Warrior. And so we we produce content for Substack on a regular basis, and I would say it's done on a weekly basis. We we have something that we uh, present, we post. These are short articles, all right? So it's a short article, but it could be a short video as well. As Substack can handle articles, it can handle video, it can handle audio, and all kinds of things. Pretty advanced platform. And so we have a Substack presence. We also have a Facebook presence as well. And we uh, update Facebook on a regular basis. I think uh, my media folks are updating Facebook at least weekly. So we have that as well. Okay. Uh, so that that completes that <laughs> that portion of what I wanted to say on this uh, this week's show. Tip of the spear. What exactly does that mean? Well, it's important, all right? So, if, you know, if, if we... I'm going to go back to the very beginning uh, of combat, and this will take us all the way back to probably the Greeks. Uh, it could be... Uh, where where is Sun Tzu? Sun Tzu is Chinese, actually. It could go all the way back to Sun Tzu. But all the way back to ancient times. And from that perspective, uh, this assertion has always been uh, something that is considered to be true. All right. Now, there may be some debates about that, but that's not the point of the, what I'm trying to get at here. I'm going to say that, by and large, the uh, the uh, statement assertion that I'm going to put forward is considered to be true, which is, if you want peace, prepare for war, okay? And, uh, you know, there could be some, you know, some arguments about it, but I don't think that the... Um, uh, I don't think that any alternative view is going to uh, withstand the the test or withstand scrutiny if we look at uh, if we look at the course of human events, if we look at human history, if we look at that. Okay, uh, it's pretty well uh, obvious to many honest observers that if you want peace. Prepare for war. All right. Okay. So let's just say that that's something that we subscribe to as a culture, as a country. And let, let's let's go from there. All right. And and we can say, all right. Well, if there's a if there's a debate a big about the beginning, we're we're gonna just assume that we we agree with that assertion and that proposition. Okay. Now, what do we do, all right? If we want to prepare for war, at what point are we going to, or how prepared are we going to be, uh, is a good question, all right? What, what if we have to prepare ourselves to engage the enemy and we are part of the forward-deployed forward units, Okay, in ancient Rome, it could be the legions are uh, are positioned in some foreign country, getting ready for battle. It could be all kinds of things. All right, it could be the expeditionary force in in uh, World War One. It could be all kinds of things. All right, if uh, if we are part of the contingent, if we are part of the military operation that operates at the tip of the spear. What exactly does that mean? Where are we in uh, geographically, or uh, at least conceptually, where are we? And 
what kind of preparation do we need to have if, in fact, we are part of the the forward-deployed combat units that are designed to operate at the tip of the spear, okay? Now, let's assume for the moment that we are, okay? So join with me in this, you know, in, in this storyline, if you will. Join with me in um, uh, trying to understand what this means, Okay, we are, uh, uh, our intention, our mission is to perform combat operations at the tip of the spear. Therefore, we are a member of a forward-deployed combat unit. Okay, uh, and as... As a result of that, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared mentally. We have to be prepared physically. And we have to be be prepared in terms of weapon systems. And we have to be prepared in terms of um, logistics or in, in terms of uh, robustness, if, if I can use that term as well. Uh, we have to be uh, ready to fight, and we have to be able to to sustain the fight long enough to win. Okay. In other words, we're we're not going to just fizzle out in the first couple of days, but we are going to sustain uh, tremendous uh, military pressure against the enemy um, that that dares to confront us and uh and we will prevail because we have staying power and the enemy uh we have greater staying staying power than the enemy because we are prepared ourselves better okay so that's that's basically the place that i want to go mentally and conceptually in this show is is that 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 place, right? So we have the we have the battle space. In in my particular area of expertise, we have the airborne battle space. Uh, within the airborne battle space, we have the leading edge of the airborne battle space, and that happens to be the tip of the spear, the leading edge of the airborne battle space. Okay, so what is there? Well, what's there is is a lethal enemy that is either getting ready to engage us in kinetic battle or or we are already in a kinetic warfare situation one or the other okay all right now but but before we uh before we start a shooting war we better be ready we better have prepared ourselves for such an occasion. And that's where, frankly, that's where the rubber meets the road. If you study the art of war and if you are a student of Sun Tzu, uh, you realize a couple of things that are, not, that are not all that obvious, which is that prepare yourselves for war and be so strong uh, and invincible that the enemy would consider it inconceivable uh, to attack the, uh, the the forces of your country. In, our, in this case, it would be the, the, the combat forces of the United States of America. Uh, the uh, attacking the combat forces, especially the, the, the combat forces stationed, at the leading edge of the battle space, at the tip of the spear, are so strong and so invisible that it would be uh, utter madness and complete suicide to attack these forces. Okay, so that's the that's the place, that's the situation, that's the world view of the combat warrior who is at the tip of the spear and performing 
In this particular case, now, now I'm going to go back to where I was in the military when I was on active duty. I was, uh, uh, in many cases, I was at the tip of the spear. And uh, and I was preparing for war at uh, at the tip of the spear, okay, at the leading edge of the uh, of the combat environment. I was preparing for war, and uh, in doing so, we were operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum. So, in other words, uh, to, to to put it a little bit easier to understand. We, we expected the enemy to be near peer. In other words, we expected the enemy to be, uh, to be a strong industrial power. Okay, it was a near peer enemy. It wasn't uh, mud huts and stuff like that. But when I was there uh, at, the fo- at the leading edge, where I was at the tip of the spear, we expected, we and we're talking about all the warriors in my, in my group, uh, we expected the enemy to be uh, to be capable, highly capable, professional military forces, well-equipped with modern weapon systems. Okay, so where were we on the conflict spectrum? We were at the high end of the conflict spectrum. So we were at the tip of the spear. We were at the leading edge of the battle space. And we were at the high end of the conflict spectrum. And to make matters even more complex, we were also performing at the high end of the performance spectrum. Now, what exactly does that mean? You were probably going to ask me that, weren't you? I'm talking to my audio engineer. You know, what does that mean, Kevin? High end of the performance spectrum what that means is is if i can put it in a nutshell i know it's a little bit tricky here to to try to explain it but if i can put it in a nutshell it would be this uh we are dealing with uh uh highly complex situations okay so we're dealing with uh in an environment in which uh, uncertainty and complexity prevail. The level of complexity is very high. The level of uncertainty is very high. We first and foremost have to outthink the enemy. Okay, If the enemy has similar weapon systems, if the enemy is highly motivated... Okay, then what is uh, what is the, uh, our deterring factor? What is the uh, what wh- what is that which will give us an advantage in battle? Uh, if we go into battle with uh, and you know and you saw this in the Top Gun Maverick movie, we all saw it. Um, and and keep watching it, by the way, because every time I watch it, I learn something. Uh, and so you can't get it all in one or two or three or even five watchings you got to go 10 uh you know I, it sounds like a it sounds kind of ridiculous but no i'm i'm not being ridiculous so watch it again all right and and you'll notice a whole bunch of things are are being revealed in this uh in this what two and a half hour movie a whole bunch of things are being revealed which is they were planning to go against a uh, a uh, a combat force that were operating uh sixth generation fighters in fact they did they actually encountered two of these advanced fighters they are called sixth generation i'll get into that in a minute what that means i worked on the fifth generation fighter did you know that I'm asking my audio engineer. Yes, she's shaking her head. I did work on the F-22, which was the world's first, and this country's first fifth-generation fighter. I worked on the cockpit design of that machine because I am also a design consultant, among other things. Um, 
And that's really a fascinating story. I should tell that story. Maybe I should schedule that. I should tell that story, shouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah, that's really a fascinating story. Anyway, uh, yeah, in, in the Top Gun Maverick movie, we have six-generation fighters. Now, the, F, the F-A-18 is not, actually. It's a fifth generation, but it's not actually a fighter. It's a fighter-bomber, right? So it's a fighter attack. So it is a, it's a hybrid uh, machine. And so there are certain things about its performance package that represents a compromise whenever you try to add additional uh, mission specifications to an airborne machine, you are going to have to compromise a certain amount, okay? If you want to put long-range radar in a fighter aircraft to be able to detect uh, enemy aircraft uh, beyond let's say 100 miles or beyond 150 miles or beyond 200 miles. I think the F-14 went out more than 200 miles, uh, if I remember right. If you want to do that, there's certain certain things you have to compromise, all right? So there, there is no, you know, in, in this regard and in, in all other endeavors in life, there's, there really is no free lunch, all right? You got, you got to buy it. You have to buy it. And, and, and uh, the ability to purchase this kind of capability uh, comes at a uh, very high price. It does, all right? Uh, do I like the idea of a single platform that uh, contains uh, two primary missions? Do I like that idea personally, if you said, you said, Kevin, do you like that idea? I would tell you that no, I don't like that idea. I, I have, I have a perception of reality that uh, that is somewhat different than others, for sure. All right, and that's okay. All right, because we don't want um, monological thinking. We want uh, we want thinking that uh, spans the intellectual spectrum. All kinds of ideas need to be welcome. Some would be good. Some would be perhaps not so good. Really, some of the craziest ideas turn out to be right. Uh, so we don't we don't uh, we don't judge them initially. We consider everything. I think the best organizations do that. The best organizations say, "I want your ideas. I don't care what you think about it. I give me your ideas." And we'll look at them uh, equally. We'll give each and every idea its its due. All right. Some will be adopted, and some will not. That's just the nature of the world. But I will. But we will consider all ideas. My ideas were different. Uh, were they adopted? Some were. By the way, I can look back at that and say, yes, yeah, some were. Sure. Others were not. But that's okay. That's just the way the world is. Um. If we are dealing with a high end of the conflict spectrum and our enemy is operating high performance, and in my case, high performance tactical aircraft, okay, I have to be prepared for that. Not only in terms of the airplanes that I'm flying, but also everything else, including my intellect. I have to have a, a properly prepared intellect. It is. It goes by a number of terms, by the way, and and I wish we were, I wish we had better terminology, or I wish we could uh, we could describe it better, uh, but um, but maybe we can eventually. But it goes by uh, uh, one term that I particularly like is intellectual readiness. What is the intellectual side of this thing? You know, are you? Are you prepared mentally to uh, to succeed in battle? Are you prepared mentally? Uh, can you outthink the enemy? Okay, so let's go with that. All right, if we want to outthink the enemy, how do we do it? How exactly do we do it? Well, as it turns out, Colonel John Boyd has come up with an answer did you know that right yes my audio engineer says yes so let's 
Let's run this audio clip. It is called, what's the name of it? What is the military OODA loop? All right, so if we want to outthink the enemy, and we do, if we're going to be operating at the tip of the spear, we better want to be able to outthink the enemy without question on no uncertain terms. How do we do that? Well, uh, fortunately, we have John Boyd to... um, to thank, by the way, Colonel John Boyd, United States Air Force. Uh, uh, he was born in uh, 1927, and he passed away in 1997, so we will honor his memory. Uh, one of the greatest strategic thinkers that uh, America has ever produced. And uh, he came up with this thing called the OODA loop. It stands for uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. OODA loop. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. O stands for, the first O stands for Observe. The second O stands for Orient, particularly important now. And and we're going to spend a lot of time on that, by the way, just heads up. The third stands for decide. And A, I'm sorry, D stands for decide. And A stands for uh, act. Okay, O-O-D-A, observe, orient, decide, act. Okay. So we have a short uh, audio clip here of about uh, four or five minutes. We're going to listen to it. And then we're going to discuss how do we outthink the enemy. Here goes. Let's take a look at a tool that the military and members of the special operations community use to make quick decisions in a rapidly changing environment. It's called an OODA loop. Let's discuss what it is how to use it, and then I'll give a military example of using the OODA loop while rescuing a downed pilot, and we'll finish off with a business example of using the OODA loop. The OODA loop is an acronym that stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. It's a decision-making process and a concept developed by military strategist and U.S. Air Force Colonel John Boyd. According to Boyd, decision-making occurs in a looping or reoccurring cycle of observe, orient, decide, and act. An individual or an organization that can observe and react to unfolding events more rapidly than their opponent can will get inside their opponent's decision cycle and gain the advantage. The OODA loop is designed to be a continuous, iterative process for making quick decisions in complex and rapidly changing situations. Here's a brief overview of each phase of the OODA loop. Observe. Collect information about the situation, environment, opportunities, and potential threats. Orient. Analyze and interpret the information collected during the observation phase. This step involves assessing the current situation, understanding the context, and considering one's own position and capabilities in relationship to the environment and the adversaries. Decide. Based on the observation and orientation, make a decision about the course of action or your plan. This step involves choosing the best response or strategy to address the challenges or opportunities identified in the previous phases. Act is simply implementing the decision by taking concrete actions. This step involves executing the chosen course of action rapidly and decisively. It's important to note that the actions taken in this phase may further influence the environment, leading to a new cycle of observation, orientation, decision, and action. The OODA loop is not only applied in the military context, but also has been adapted for various fields, including business, law enforcement, and competitive sports. 
Let's move on to a military example. In the high-stakes scenario of a downed pilot behind enemy lines, Air Force pararescue men utilize the OODA loop to make a crucial decision at the landing site of a fighter pilot who broke his tib-fib while ejecting. Observing the injured pilot's condition, the encroaching darkness, and the proximity of the enemy, the team quickly assesses the risks and challenges. Orienting themselves to the thick, mountainous terrain, they analyze available options and recognize the urgency of avoiding enemy detection. The team decides that because the enemy is so close, it would be too dangerous to call for a helicopter with a jungle penetrator and a winch to pull the pilot to safety. They decide to evade the enemy overnight and quietly move to their alternate extraction point. They stabilize the pilot's broken leg and move out quickly and quietly to the alternate extraction point. As they move, the team leader constantly updates their decision-making process. They adjust their plan based on real-time intelligence, which ensures a covert movement and sets the stage for a successful extraction the next morning. Let's move on to a business example. Smith's Coffee, a small business passionate about quality, implemented the OODA loop for making a strategic decision. Observing market trends, they notice a rising demand for organic coffee blends. Orienting themselves to this shift, they analyze suppliers, production costs, and potential profit margins. They decide to introduce an organic line and swiftly execute the plan by ordering organic coffee beans and updating their marketing materials. Constantly repeating or looping this decision-making process, they assess customer feedback and adjust their coffee blends accordingly. This adaptive OODA loop approach allows Smith's Coffee to stay agile in a dynamic market and deliver products aligned with evolving consumer preferences. The flexibility and adaptability of the OODA loop makes it a valuable concept for navigating dynamic and unpredictable situations. It emphasizes the importance of agility, quick decision-making, and continuous reassessment. And while the OODA loop isn't the most sophisticated method of making a decision, if you're short on time and need a quick framework to help you make a decision, then maybe you should observe, orient, decide, and act. Let me know when you have successfully used the OODA loop in the comments below. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you want to join our life as a special operations team. And be sure. Okay, uh, so that's a brief description of the OODA loop. All right, it's called the OODA loop. And, and that's a good place where we can begin to understand how to outthink the enemy right there. We, we have a... Uh, how should I put it? We have a performance model. We have a a uh, a framework, if you will. Uh, we we just don't go in there ad hoc. We have some kind of a uh, conceptualized um, structure, conceptual structure in place. In this case, it's a it's a four-step process, but it continues to loop around. Uh, you never finish it. You never come to a a conclusion until uh, until you retire from the battlefield. You're always you're always engaged in this um, the, this uh, circular or this looping kind of operation, uh, and that is something that. You know, it needs to be understood in terms of does it ever end? And actually, no, it, it goes on until until you retire from the battle space, right? And you can also, you know, look back on it and say, okay, where were the best? Uh, the, where were the best cases? Where were the cases in which I needed to find? I uh, needed to uh, improve upon. Okay, uh, you know, we, we do this a lot in uh, in aviation, you know, the mission debrief uh, is always an important part of the mission, the debrief, because we we go over the, you know, the mission and we, and we look at ways that we could have uh, improved 
the uh, improved the performance, uh, our performance, improved the performance of the whole operation as well. And, um, you know, learn from our shortcomings. Uh, it's constant learning process. It, it, it never ends. In this case, uh, from an operational standpoint, the OODA loop is a constantly learning process uh, that we uh, that we use to uh, well to outthink the enemy. So, and and here's the other thing to keep in mind: uh, if we're if we're going to do this in a um, in a you know, coherent way. If we're not just just trying to look out, right? Uh, not just um, uh, some kind of a um, you know a chance event. We're not trying to look out. We're trying to we're we're trying to improve our pre our chances of winning uh, beyond just pure luck. Okay. If we are if we are going to go there in that particular, uh, you know mindset if you will if we are then we we better have something working for us and one of the things not the only thing but one of the things that we can bring to the battle space and in addition to our weapons in addition to our aircraft in addition to whatever we can bring the ooda loop to the battle space we can equip ourselves with that and through that process of being able to effectively use the OODA loop, we can outthink the enemy. Now, observe is a very important thing. We call it uh, in aviation, uh, and this is military aviation and commercial aviation, we call it situation awareness. We talked about this before, right? So Micah Ensley has come up with a very good situation awareness model. And I would recommend that for anybody that is wants to be serious about observation. If you are looking at observe, observe what? Observe what's going on around you. Observe the environment, all right? Uh, you have to have something going for you because you may not be able to understand what you're looking at initially. It may be confusing. It may be intentionally confusing. So and that, that's, that really is a big deal, right? And so you have to use something in order for you to observe. It's kind of like you're putting on your cognitive binoculars, Okay, you, so you, when you are trying to observe, you equip yourselves with that which will improve your observational capabilities. What is that? Uh, that happens to be the situation awareness model. You can Google it. You can find it. It's it's all over the place. Okay, uh, uh, just. Just Google it, Situation Awareness Model, and Ensley's model comes up. Uh, Micah Ensley, um, a great gal. I have uh, communicated. I don't know her well, but I have communicated with her on occasion, uh, and I would recommend um, checking out her model, going to her website, and stuff like that. Observation is particularly important. All right, And the second one is orient now here's the key to to mission success and, and john boyd uh was uh, basically was the first one to say that or he who is the proponent of this observation or orientation is the key uh if anything the proper orientation is the key to mission success i'm going to propose something and it's going to be pretty radical okay but that's all right that's just who we are here and that's the that's the kind of person I am I'm going to propose something radical the first thing I'm going to say with respect to orientation is that often our orientation is wrong it just it just simply is wrong okay it is inappropriate it is not uh, not suitable for the occasion uh, uh, this has to do with our uh, our terribly poor 
education, our formal education is uh, is inappropriate. It is inconsistent with success. All right, orientation is the key. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna present something that is it's gonna be sometimes it's gonna be a little bit hard to um, you know to get or hard to believe, but stick with me. Uh, and I want to stimulate your thinking here, and particularly I want to stimulate your critical thinking right now. So I want to put, I want you to put your critical thinking hat on right now. Okay. All right. Is it on? Good. All right. From a critical thinking standpoint, and from a OODA loop orientation standpoint. What is it that we need to understand? We need to understand what Ian McGrillcrest says in his book, The Matter with Things, which is we are not so much interested in the things that occupy our mind space, the things that exist in the natural world. We're not so much interested in things as we are in the interactions between and among things. We're more interested in the interactions of things. Okay, what does that mean? What is Ian McGilchrist trying to tell us? Uh, deterministic reductionism is not the way to go. What is the way to go? Probabilistic conceptualism is the way to go. So we orient our brains toward probabilistic conceptualism. Okay? We understand that the real world is uncertain. The battle space is highly uncertain. The battle space is complex and uncertain beyond what you can possibly imagine and yet we have to perform there. If we are going to perform at the leading edge, at the tip of the spear, if we are going to perform at the tip of the spear, and we are going to perform at the leading edge of the conflict spectrum, and uh, we are going to uh, be a member of a forward-deployed combat unit that operates at the tip of the spear, then we better uh, be able to uh, uh, consider things from a probabilistic standpoint and from a non-literal standpoint. If it's non-literal literal, and if it is non-linear, what is it? Okay, it is conceptual and it is interactive, and it is probabilistic. So, therefore, the interaction between energy and agility needs to be understood, and the interaction between energy and lethality needs to be understood if, in fact, we are going to succeed in the airborne battle space. This is particularly important. All right, so let me say that again. Okay. We are not con we are not concerned about things. We are concerned about the interactions between things. All right, so nothing occurs in isolation. So if we have an energy package, if we achieve have achieved a certain level of energy in our, um, in our fighter aircraft, if you will, in our in our airborne vehicle, if you want to be a general, if we have, or if we can, let's say we have, we have achieved a certain energy package. What is that? Now, energy contains three elements, all right? And they all work together, so it's not just velocity. So energy contains three elements. It contains kinetic energy, potential energy, and propulsion energy. Those are the three elements of, of the energy package that we 
that we have available to us and that we come equipped and we have high energy when we enter, enter the uh, airborne battle space. It needs to be a, a greater level of energy than what our enemy has. That is the first thing that has to be done, first and foremost. Okay. All right. So, uh, so where where are we going with this? We're going with the, with the interactions between energy and lethality. If we have a high energy high energy package entering the airborne battle space. Does that give us an advantage in terms of improving our uh, level of lethality if we are in an advantageous position, if we have achieved and will maintain the advantage? Does that raise our level of lethality? And, of course, it does. Okay, so we have energy and lethality working together and that's how we are if we do do this across the board there's a number of other interactions that we have to look with uh, look at and we'll cover that uh, next time but if we do that across the board we are going to uh, achieve mission success for sure we are going to succeed we are going going to succeed in combat it, there is no question about it okay my audio engineer has just given me a two-minute warning. Oh, sorry, one-minute warning. Okay, I need to I need to wrap this up, uh, or else I get demerits from my audio engineer. Um, okay, so in in so summary, I have to summarize. Okay, the OODA loop developed by John Boyd is the mechanism by which we can outthink the enemy. Okay, and we can use that to think better across the board and to be proficient critical thinkers. That's going to help us in the operational sense to be proficient critical thinkers. So we're, we're looking at uh, thinking critically while we are performing a complex and meaningful operation. Okay, so we're almost at the end, right? Right. Okay. Yes, we are at the end uh, of a, another Throttle Up radio show and podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>